Jeremiah message. So uh, here we go. Last week we're in chapter 35. This week we're in chapter 36. We're going to close out. So I'll tell you what we're not going to cover. We're not going to cover the four uh, chapters that talk about the prophecies that Jeremiah gives to the nations outside of Israel. You can read those on your own. We're just not going to cover them because basically I'll give it all to you. That four chapters means God uses people that he doesn't approve of. He doesn't approve of their behavior, but he still uses them. So when you're talking about people who are used by God, sometimes there are men who are claimed to be being used by God that God does not behave, uh, approve of their behavior. Okay? So we'll just keep going. Let's, let's go back to chapter 36. Here's where we're at. We're in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah. Now, Jeremiah is really good about giving us time stamps to his messages because it's not written in chronological order. So he gives us these timestamps that'll help us understand where, who's he, who he's talking to and when he was talking. So now he says, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. So let's uh, follow along here. Jer- the word, the word came to Jeremiah. And who's, this is where you got to get this, from the Lord. Okay. That, that, that is vital that you understand this, that it is Jeremiah speaking from the Lord. It's not Jeremiah's ideas. It's not Jeremiah's words. This is God speaking through Jeremiah. So it's Jeremiah from, everybody together, the Lord. One more time. From, there you go. He says to Jeremiah, take the scroll and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations from the day I spoke to you. From the days of Josiah until today, it may be that the house of Judah will hear the disaster that I intend to do to them. Now, real quick, God just told Jeremiah to write the book of Jeremiah. That's what he just, he's writing that God told me to write this down. So all the things that he's been told to write, all the things he's been told to prophesy, he's now being told to write them down, thankfully, because now we have it. He says, it may be, this is why he wants him to write it, it it may be that the house of Judah will hear all the disasters that I intend to do to them, so that every one of them may turn from his evil way, and that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. This This is God's grace. The abundance of God's grace is seen here. Right now, this is what Jeremiah, God just told Jeremiah. Jeremiah, I've told you to prophesy to King uh, Jehoiakim. I told you to prophesy to Jeho- Jehoiachin and to Zedekiah. I told you to prophesy to all of them. So every time he tells them, go tell this at the temple, go tell this to, the, to Jerusalem, Jeremiah went and did it with his voice. He says, guys, you need to repent. You're going down a path you don't want to go down to. If you keep going down this path, the Babylon, Babylonian army is going to come here and Nebuchadnezzar is going to wipe you out. So please repent and turn back to God. God keeps saying this over and over again. Now, they haven't listened. So God says, write it all down. Maybe this time, they'll listen. Maybe after all these times that I've told them over and over and over, please repent, maybe this time, they'll hear it from the word that you're writing, and they'll they'll do it. So Jeremiah writes down the word of God. This is in 605 B.C., that Jeremiah wrote this. It takes him a year to write it all, all down. He gets the word of God from God in 605. In 604 BC, he hands the, scr- uh, the scroll to his scribe, Baruch. 
And he tells Baruch, I want you to go to the temple and read this. So the, what we have been studying, the book of Jeremiah, he's reading it to, the, to, to them in the temple. And he reads it to them, and one, uh, one of the uh, temple administrators hears him talking about it, and he goes, man, we, we need to, I need to pass this up the chain. So he goes to the, uh, the king's officials, and he says, hey, hey I'm, Baruch is reading these letters from Jeremiah, these prophecies. Man, you guys need to hear this. So they say, okay, bring in the scroll to us. We'll, we'll listen to it. So they listen to it. And they're like, man, king needs to hear this. So they say, king, we need, we need, you need to hear this. So the king goes, okay, bring the scroll to me. I'll listen to what it has to say. So jumping down to verse uh, 30, 21, it says, the king sent Jehudai to get the scroll. Jehudai brought it from Elishamah's room and read it to the king and all his officials, as is all his, all his officials, stood by. So you can imagine, they're in a room, here they are, they're reading it, all the officials are listening. It was late autumn and the king was in the winterized part of the palace. So in, in Jerusalem, it gets, it gets chilly, it'll snow there. Um, and so they, what, at this time, they'd have inside, like interior rooms would be where they were at because they, they hold the heat better. He's got a fire going on in that room. It says he then, uh, each time Jehudai finished reading three or four columns, the king took a knife and cut off that section of the scroll. He then threw it into the fire, section by section, until the whole scroll was burned up. Neither the king nor his attendant showed any signs of fear or repentance at what they heard. Even when Elnathan, Deliah, and uh, Gemariah, Gemariah begged the king not to burn the scroll, he wouldn't listen. This is right in, in a way that the, the Jehoiakim takes this is complete and utter disrespect for the word of God that Jeremiah was commanded to give to him. Complete and utter disrespect, which is opposite of what Jeremiah did when he heard the word. In Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16, he says, when I heard your words, I devoured them because I am from the name of the Lord our God. He says, I I devoured them because I wanted them so badly. And then just before, it says that this is Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, now, if you remember, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Josiah. Josiah was king, and he received the word of God. They found the word of God in the temple, and he, they, it was read to him. And what did he do? When he, the king, heard, this is talking about Josiah, heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. Jo- Josiah hears it, and he rep- repents, tears his clothes, and says, I'm not living right. We're not living right. We've got to get back to the word of God. And he tears his, uh, his clothes and he says, we're going to repent. Jehoiakim tears the word of God. Complete opposite of what his father did. Josiah, as a response, God says, hey, I'm not going to send the Babylonians into your, into your country right now. I'm going to let it pass on. But Jehoiakim tears the word of God. What's going to happen to him? Well, in uh, chapter uh, 20, verse 27, it says, After the king had burned the scroll on which Baruch had written Jeremiah's words, the Lord gave Jeremiah another message. He said, Get another scroll, write everything again, just as you did on the scroll King Jehoiakim burned. Now, right away, a little side note here. Every good Jew that just heard him say this 
is immediately having a flashback to another time that the word of God was given to a nation and they broke it. So when Moses was given the covenant on top of Mount Sinai, he came down to find that the children of Israel were worshiping a golden calf. And when he saw that, he breaks the word of God, crumble, it goes into pieces, and God commands him to come back up to rewrite the covenant and bring it back down. Here, Jeremiah is, presents it to the king, to the nation. He rips it up, tears apart, burns it, and God says, okay, rewrite it. Rewrite it. He says, uh, you, he, this is, then say to the king, this is what the Lord says. You burn the scroll because it said the king of Babylon would destroy this land and empty it of its people and animals. So why did you burn it? Let me show you. Because... You didn't like what it said. You took the word of God, you ripped it up, and you put it in a fire because it didn't match what you wanted it to say. It was calling you out. It was saying you needed to repent. It was saying you are a sinner and you need to come to a place of repentance. And if you don't, you're going you're gonna to die because of it. But you didn't like what it said, so you tore it up and you burn it. Now, this is what the Lord says to King Jehoiakim of Judah. He will, no, he will have no heirs to sit on the throne of David. His dead body will be thrown out to lie unburied, exposed to the heat of the day and the frost of the night. So he adds to the punishment. Hey, you were going to be taken as Babylonian uh, slaves to Babylon, and you'd have been there for 70 years. This is what Jeremiah's been saying for a long time now, repeating it again and again. He says, if you would have done, if you just surrendered to them, You'd have gone to Babylon, you'd have stayed there for 70 years, and if you'd have died there, then, but one way or another, you're, there would have been a people coming back to Jerusalem. But instead, Jehoiakim, you're not going to have any heir, you're, you're done, your lineage is done, and your body is going to be thrown out, and it's not even going to be buried. So we have this, keeps going, Jeho, Jeremiah's uh, prophecy comes to pass, Jehoiakim is uh, killed by the Babylonians. In verse 37, the very next chapter, it says, Jedekiah, son of Josiah, succeeded Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, as, as the king of Judah. So here we go. We have Jehoiakim, who just tore up the, the, the scroll and burned it. His son, Jehoiachin, is uh, put into position at eight years old. He's put in position as king at eight years old. And immediately, Jehoiachin is taken and three months later surrenders to Nebuchadnezzar and he's taken off to Babylon. Interesting enough, when he's taken off there, we don't hear anything about Jehoiachin anymore in Jeremiah until the very last paragraph where Jehoiachin is brought back to the Babylonian king who at, this, at that point would have been Nebuchadnezzar dies and then evil Murdoch, which is his name, is made king, and he brings Jehoiachin to the king's table in a glimmer of hope for the nation of Israel. Jehoiachin, so now we have, here's Zedekiah. Zedekiah, son of Josiah. So we have, uh, back, to, back to one of the sons of Josiah. He says, he was appointed by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. But neither Zedekiah nor his attendants uh, the, the, nor his attendants, nor the people who were left in the land listened to what the Lord said through 
Jeremiah. None of them listened to what the Lord said through Jeremiah. They're not listening. Still not paying any attention to what he said. His prophecies are coming to pass. Everything he's saying that was going to happen is happening. But still, no one's paying attention. Nevertheless, King Zedekiah sent Jehuacol, son of Shalamaz, and Zephaniah the priest, son of Masai, to to ask Jeremiah, check this out. Please pray to the Lord our God for us. Jeremiah had not yet been in prison, so he could come and go among the people he had as he pleased. Zedekiah comes and says, hey, go ask Jeremiah to pray to God. We don't want to listen to what he has to say. We're not going to obey the commandments he gives to us. But we really would like his blessings. It might be someone getting behind a podium, giving a speech, and at the end of the speech, saying something along the lines, and God bless America. We're not going to listen to what God says. We're not going to follow his word. We're going to put into position, uh, place things into uh, our government, and we're going to support things that are contrary to the word of God, but we'd still really like him to bless us. Let me bring it home for you. Kind of like sitting around a dinner table, holding hands, and saying, God, bless this food and bless this family. Even though we spent all day lying and cheating, manipulating your word to fit into what we want it to be, doing what we want to do, and when we're done eating here, we're going to go watch TV and honor things that dishonor you. So, but we really like your blessings. That, that noise you just heard, that silence, is your toes getting stepped on, as mine get stepped on. See, we really want God's blessings, but we really struggle to hear his whole word. The word that causes us to be convicted and calls us to repentance. I'll keep going. So, Jeremiah is uh, put into jail. He's, uh, I, I, you need to read the rest of Jeremiah, uh, chapter 37. I don't have enough time to, to give you the details, but he ends up being put into, into prison. It says, later, King Zedekiah secretly requested that Jeremiah come to the palace where the king asked him, do you have any messages from the Lord? Jeremiah says, yes, I do. You will be defeated by the king of Babylon. Not a real popular comment, Probably Zedekiah didn't go, oh, goody, goody. In fact, he, go, he like completely ignores it. And Jeremiah goes, hey, would you mind not sending me back to prison? I don't want to die there. And so Zedekiah goes, okay, I'll send you to the like, minimum security prison, but don't let anybody know that you talked to me because I don't want to be held accountable to the word you just gave me. Now, uh, jumping down to, jump to the next chapter, now, uh, so Jeremiah is in a, this prison. It's minimal security. It's actually in a courtyard, and he's able to continue to tell the people around him that are coming through the courtyard, hey, guys, don't, uh, don't fight the Babylonians. When they come, surrender to them. Surrender to them, and you'll be taken to exile in Babylon, but don't you fight them, because if you fight them and you don't surrender to them, you're going to die. The famine, the war, the destruction is going to come to you, it's best if you just surrender and then Jerusalem won't be torn down. But if you fight, 
Jerusalem will be destroyed, and you're going to be taken off. He says, uh, uh, a uh, bunch of the uh, official, uh, king's officials hear him, and then it says, these, so these officials went to the king and said, sir, this man must die. That kind of talk will undermine the morale of the fight, few fighting men we have left, as well as that of all the people. This man's a traitor. We don't like his sayings. We don't like his preaching. King Zedekiah agreed. All right, then do as you like. I, I can't stop you. <laughs> yes, he could have. He could have. But instead, he says, oh, okay, get, get rid of him. We don't like what he's saying because what he's saying is really unpopular. It's really, it's, it's not what we want to say. It's, it's not that, that good preaching that we like to hear that get, brings us all that prosperity and all that good stuff we want to hear. This isn't the stuff that we want to hear. This is going to, this is going to make people, no, this, this doesn't work. So they end up throwing Jeremiah into a cistern. It says that the mud in a cistern sunk, made Jeremiah sink to above his waist, most likely, to the point that he's going to die there. Luckily, there's a man that hears of it happening. He's an Ethiopian eunuch that's in the king's uh, circle, and he goes and he pleads for Jeremiah's life. He says, let me take him out. We'll put him in prison, but don't leave him down there to die. So they get him out. They pull him out of the, out of the cistern, and he, back in prison he is. It says, uh, so, one, so he's back in prison, and again, one day, Zedekiah sent for Jeremiah and had him brought to the third entrance of the Lord's temple. I want to ask you something, the king said, and don't try to hide the truth. And Jeremiah said, I love this, if I tell you the truth, you will kill me. And if I give you advice, you won't listen to me anyway. <laughs> Jeremiah's done. He's like, guys, I've been talking to you. I'm done saying the same thing over and over. I'm done telling you how you, can re- you need to repent. You're not going to listen to me anyway, so why should I even open my mouth? And Zedekiah says, oh, no, 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 I won't, I won't kill you. I promise uh, you won't be dead, uh, but <laughs> he doesn't listen to him. So uh, he's at, uh, verse uh, 15, so we go, uh, it says, the Lord had given the following message to Jeremiah while he was in prison. He says, say to ebed Meliak. so the one guy who helped him, this is the Ethiopian eunuch, the one glimmer of what happens when you do listen to God. He says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says, I will do to this city everything I have threatened. I will send disaster, not prosperity. You will see its destruction, but I will rescue you from those who fear you fear so much because you trusted me. I will give you your life as a reward. I will rescue you and keep you safe. I, the Lord, have spoken. So the one of the men, one of the very few men who actually listen to Jeremiah and go to bat for Jeremiah and say, Jeremiah's right, and pulls him out of the cistern, is the one, God, one guy that God says, I, I want to show you what happens when you do listen. I'll save your life. So Jeremiah prophecies ends up coming to pass. He's uh, in 588 B.C. Jerusalem is ransacked. It's taken apart. Uh, Jeremiah, uh, Zedekiah is uh, marched to, uh, to a neighboring city. He's uh, put in front of his children. His sons are put in front of him, and they're slaughtered in front of him. And then immediately after they're slaughtered in front of him, uh, Nebuchadnezzar burns his eyes out. So the last thing he ever sees is the death of his sons. All because he wouldn't repent. And he wouldn't listen to Jeremiah. So he says, so Jeremiah ends up, uh, uh, the, the official of 
the Nebuchadnezzar's army comes in and says, hey, Jeremiah, you, you, you've been right all along. We've heard about you, and we're not going to uh, kill you, and we're going to let you choose. You can go to Babylon if you want, or you can stay here. Jeremiah decides to stay in Jerusalem. The Jerusalem is given a, uh, a, a governor by Nebuchadnezzar, puts him in charge, but ne- that governor gets killed, assassinated by the other, other Israelites who are living there. They kill him, and then they have a, a moment where like, oh crud, what are we going to do now? We killed the one guy that the king Nebuchadnezzar put in charge. He's going to come back here and kill all of us. We're done. So they're in panic mode. In chapter 42, it says, then all the army officers, so the, all the guys who are now in panic mode, because the one guy that was put in charge by Nebuchadnezzar has been assassinated, and, uh, says, hey, Jeremiah, they came to Jeremiah the prophet and said to him, please hear our petition and pray to the Lord your God for this entire remnant. For as you now see, though we were once many, now only a few are left, pray that the Lord your God will tell us where we should go and what we should do. Jeremiah says, I have heard you. Sounds like they've changed, had to change heart, right? Here we go, good. Finally figured it out. I have heard you, replied Jeremiah the prophet. I will certainly pray to the Lord your God as you have requested. I will tell you everything that the Lord says and I, I will not keep anything back from you. Then they said to Jeremiah, may the Lord be true and faithful witness against us if we do not act in accordance with everything the Lord your God sends you to tell us, whether it is favorable or unfavorable. We will obey the Lord our God to whom we are, we are sending you so that it will go well for us, for we will obey the Lord our God. Yes. Oh, good. So Jeremiah goes off. Ten days later, the word of God comes to him And it says specifically, guys, do not leave Jerusalem. Stay in Jerusalem. And whatever you do, do not go to Egypt. Because if you go to Egypt, destruction, famine, and death will follow you there. So don't don't go to Egypt. It might be that God might have known what they were thinking. And they go, okay, okay. So Jeremiah goes, okay, guys, listen. You told me to go ask God what you should do. I'm coming back to you. Don't go to Egypt. Stay here in Jerusalem. Their response is this, you lie. The Lord our God hasn't forbidden us to go to Egypt. (laughs) The people refused to obey the voice of the Lord and went to Egypt. (laughs) Hey, Jeremiah, go go talk to God for us. And whatever he says, whatever it is, whether it's good or bad, we're going to listen. Except we don't want to stay here because we think Nebuchadnezzar is going to come back here and kill us, so we'd really like to go to Egypt. So can you go ask God if it's okay if we go to Egypt? No? Oh, you're wrong. We're going to Egypt anyways. It's, it's like, what are you, like, over and over, and again, the people of Israel are listening to God, hearing God's word and ignoring it. King Jehoiakim takes it and burns it. These people he ask for God's word and say, no, nah, we don't want to listen to it. Over and over, the disrespect, here's the problem. If there's nothing else you get from the book of Jeremiah, here was their issue. The beginning of it, we see Josiah, who has reform and repents when he hears the word of God. The rest of Jeremiah is people ignoring the word of God. Josiah makes it his foundation, and God pushes back the punishment. They ignore it. So if there's anything you get from this, it is this, that we must make the word 
of God are foundation. The word of God must be our foundation. Everything that we do must be built upon the word of God. The quality of a structure is dependent upon its foundation. You want a flimsy house? <laughs> have a flimsy foundation. You must have a firm foundation. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and, and does them. You hear them and do them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The problem is, is we are building our lives on bad foundations. The majority of the time that we look at our lives, if we really examined our foundation, we'd find out that our foundation is actually built upon culture. What's popular right now? What's popular to believe right now is what I'm going to believe. So if, if, if it's okay to move this way, if it's okay to go in this direction, if the rest of the world says it's okay, then it must be okay. If everybody else says that the word of God is, mm, we don't have to listen to it, then I don't have to listen to it. If everybody else says that these, uh, these topics and these political issues are just okay, then I can move in that direction. But the problem is culture constantly changes and your foundation will be washed away. Period. Another thing we try to base our, our we, we have our foundations on is tradition. And tradition isn't wrong, but tradition will be, is, is not a, Mark, Jesus says in Mark chapter seven, verse eight, he says, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. So we have, it's not that traditions are bad, it's that when you, let, when you say, hey, I need traditions to hold me solid to God, you're missing out because your traditions will go away. Something like a pandemic will come in and you won't be able to meet on Sundays. And so then when you don't have a foundation on God, but a foundation on a church that you attend, you will lose your relationship with God. Another way that we, thing that we try to put our foundation on is we try to put our foundation on reasoning. Well, I thought it through. I think this is the best option for me. <laughs> Proverbs 16, 25 says, There's, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. See, so many times we'll go to the Word of God and we're like, God, that doesn't really make sense that you want me to live this way. I mean, it doesn't, it, it, I, was, I was created this way. I was made this way, so it can't be that the Word of God says it's wrong. So I guess I, I got to listen to this above what I feel. Yes, because your feelings and your reasoning aren't going to work. Your feelings are a terrible foundation because your, your feelings change constantly. Uh, it's Judges chapter 21. I love the way the uh, uh, message paraphrase says it. At, at that time, there was no king in Israel. The people did whatever they felt like doing. You can't base your foundation on feelings. You can't base it on reasoning or tradition or culture. It has to be on the word of God, even when it doesn't make sense. So how do we... Build a foundation on the Word of God. Let me give you a couple things, four things that you need to, uh, that will help you build a foundation on the Word of God. First thing is, you need to question the Word of God. Question the Word of God. Not question whether it's relevant or practical. No, question it. As you read it, question it. 
This is why so many people struggle with reading the Bible is because you'll read it and you'll go, man, that doesn't make sense. We're not asking questions of it. Why does it say it that way? Why is it in that place? Why is the context, why is it put in that context? What, what is it that, well, that helps me? This is what Paul read, said this to, to uh, Timothy. He said, all scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely equipped, complete equipped for the, every good work. Why, when we question the word of God, we're going to and say, God, what is it saying that I need to understand? Why is it written that way? And we question it in community. We're gonna do something in November, November 14th. We're gonna have an event here at nine o'clock. You can, if you want, you can go to the app or to the events. It's all the details are there. And it's called Bible 101. Because it's based, we're going to walk through what, it, what the Bible is, how it's laid out, how I can read it to understand it. So th- this is going to be for you to, to have uh, that, the opportunity to get into the Word of God. I'll, have, I'll make sure JD uh, at the end of the service gives you the more details about it. But uh, the, the reason is, is because we need to learn how to go to the Word of God to ask it questions. Second thing we need to do is we need to invest in the Word of God. Invest in the Word of God. God. This is what uh, Joshua, very beginning of Joshua, he says, keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do, to do, not listen, just to hear it, but to do it, everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. You have to invest into it. You have to put the time into studying it and reading it. I, (laughs) I grew up I grew up, there it is. I keep thinking of the screen right there. I grew up on this, okay? Good peanut butter and jelly. And that was, that was a, a staple in my life, eating peanut butter and jelly. It was, sustain, it was substantial. It made me grow. I grew up to where I got to college, and I ate ramen noodles in college. That was my, right? You guys remember ramen noodles? Or if you, if you put some flavoring, if you put the seasoning pack on it, it becomes ramen noodles, you know, it's Raymond for the, just, but if you want to get fancy, it's Raymond. Ram, Roman, what's, how do you say it? Ramen. 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 Let's see, it's just Raymond. <laughs> I grew up on that stuff, and it was good. It, I, I, I grew up to be a, a big boy from it. But recently, in the last couple years, I've been getting introduced to, to, to good food. Like food that's beyond just ramen noodles. Okay, I'm talking about like when you go to the restaurant and I, okay, I'll give you the example. My wife and I, uh, a few weeks ago, went to the Ocean Club in Columbus. Now, this is a, a, a once a year we do this for my birthday, her birthday, and our anniversary. We go down there and we spend the day in Columbus. She shops all day, gets her, you know, gets her why she needs to shop at the Target in Columbus. I don't know. It's the same as what she needs to shop there. So we, we go to Target. We go to all the places that she wants to go to. And then we eat at the Ocean Club. And I love going to the Ocean Club. It's a fancy little restaurant down there right in Easton. And you got you you to have a button-up. I mean, I've never challenged it, but it feels really nice. You go in there, and, uh, and I, just, I, I just, hey, what's the special? The server comes up, and he's got the, you know, the special today is, and he gives us the special. I forget the first one. The second one is Wagyu beef. Like, Wagyu beef, that sounds like ramen noodles to me. I don't know what, the, like, what is Wagyu beef. 
So he explains what Wagyu beef is. It's this, it comes from Japan, and it's uh, the specially bre- special breed of cow that has to be raised in a certain place at a certain time of the year. It's all very specific. And he goes, if you like it, you can have it. Uh, it's, a, it's a special. And I'm like, what's the cost? He goes, $20 per ounce. Minimum of four. Doesn't take me long to do math. Eighty dollars. I'm like, well, that's nice. He leaves. I'm like, and I, my wife and I are in discussion. I'm like, man, I, that's that'd be cool to try, but I'm not spending eighty bucks on one piece of meat. That's no sides. I asked. Does that come with sides? <laughs> no sides. Just the, the the four ounces of meat. I'm like, man, that'd be really cool to try. And she goes, Josh. This is once in, like, we're, you're never going to see this again. Just get it. It's, it's something, it's an experience you'll have. So here it is. There's my $80 plate of meat. <laughs> and let me tell you, if you've never had Wagyu beef, which I'm assuming the majority of you haven't, because I have never seen it before, you put it in your mouth, and it melts. It is unbelievable. It, it's like... A form of steak that is just, I, I wish I could, I wish you could experience it, but you, you'd have to put it in your mouth to experience it. It was just amazing. See, you can, you can live your life going to the word of God for good substance. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's an awesome one. That God loved you, that he died for you, that he's willing to do anything for you. That is awesome. But when you really invest in the word of God, it's going to cost you some time. It's going to cost you some effort. But you'll experience something that I can't even explain to you right now. When you get into the word of God and you let it soak into you, it's something that's just be, wow, what an amazing gift God has given to us in the word of God. Now, by the way, it wasn't cheap, and it came out with a certificate. That certificate of authenticity that this cow came from Japan shows, shows where it was born. That little thing in the middle there is the nose print of the cow I ate. <laughs> Are you willing to invest in the Word of God? Here's, here's some ways you can invest. One is get a Bible that when you read it, you actually understand it. I grew up on the King James. Nothing wrong with the King James Version, except for when I read it now as a seminary student who has a master's in theological studies, I read it and go, huh? Because I'm not from England, nor am I from the 1600s England, okay? Neither was God, okay? It's a good translation. It's great in what, what it was. I, most of the time when I quote scripture from memory, it's from the King James because that's what I grew up on. But if you're going to read something, read something you actually understand when you read it, not a foreign language, okay? Get a, a couple ones that I'd recommend. NLT is usually the one I use on the screen here. You can also go to ESV, which is a great one for studying, or the NASB. Those are my three top favorite that I'll give to you. If you want to talk more about it, I'd love to have a conversation on November 14th. We'll talk about all that. Second thing you can do to invest is get, so get a Bible you can understand, but also get a study Bible. So this is a study Bible. It's a little thicker. And here's what it does, is it takes the scripture on the top here and then gives you a little note down the bottom. Now, this is authorized. This is the word of God. 
cannot be changed. This is some men's understanding and their thoughts on this. This is authoritative. This is good thoughts. Helps you think. It's not the same. Just make sure you understand that. Get a good study Bible. Invest in it. I'll give you a little hint. Go over Ollie's. Ollie's has them. You go to, they have books, and you go, go dig through them. They, you can find them. They're like $19. Most of the time, you're going to spend $50 on a good study Bible. I'll actually, uh, I'll send out, I'll post a couple that I'd recommend study Bibles for you to get uh, over the next couple of days. Invest. Invest. And here's the final thing. Invest in community. Here's the beauty of the Word of God in investing in community is that you, you're going to read something, and you're going, I really don't understand that. But I spent, like, way too many hours. No, it was good investment. I spent all these, this time and went to Bible college and went to seminary to learn how to study the Bible. I've gone to Israel. I've had these experiences and I have these relationships with men that are investing in me so that I can invest in you. And there's men around me that I'm investing into that they'll be able to help you. Come into community to study the word of God. Get in the connect group. Okay, keep going. It's good preaching, Josh. Um, Okay, here's the other thing. You got to let the word change you. You got to let the word change you. This is how James says it. He says, for if you listen to the word of God and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then then God will bless you for doing it. See, James says, hey, if you go to the Word of God, you read it, and don't do anything about it, it doesn't change you. It's like going to the mirror, seeing your calic, and your hair sticking up, and I don't have this problem. Okay, let me think of one of It's like going to the mirror, and you got a cliffhanger. Okay? Let's make this real. You got a cliffhanger hanging there. You see the cliffhanger, you walk away from the mirror, and you don't Get rid of the cliffhanger. The word of God will, is like that. You look at it. It says, hey, Josh, you got a cliffhanger, bro. <laughs> Let the word of God change you. Get a tissue, please. Get the cliffhanger. And walk away from it changed. So, so, that, so that when the world looks at you, they see Jesus and not the cliffhanger. <laughs> Amen? This is, this is where you allow it to change you. Get into the Word of God, and once again, do it in a group, in community, and let them hold you accountable. See, that's what the mistake Zedekiah made was, hey, don't tell anybody that you talk to me about the Word of God because I don't want to be held accountable to the Word of God. Get people around you that when you hear the word of God and they, it says, I need to change, they're going to go, you need to change, bro. That's the area God's been dealing with you. Come on. I'm coming alongside you. We're in this journey together. We're going to see God do something different. And here's the th- final thing. Use the, wor- the word of God as it was designed to be as a weapon. As a weapon. Ephesians 6.17, put on the salvation as your helmet Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I love the message. I'll add this. He says, the God's Word is an indispensable weapon. Use it as it was meant to be, as a weapon. When the enemy comes against you, you have a weapon that will help you defeat the enemy. Use the Word of God 
as it was designed to be. JD, you want to bring that out to me? I want to show you. Oh, yeah. Here we go. We got, we'll put it right there. Can everybody see that? No? See, the Word of God, I, let, let me let me close with this scripture. It says, how can a young person stay pure? How? By obeying the Word of God. I've tried hard to find you, says the psalmist. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. See, here, here's, here's what we do too many times with the word of God. We take it, we have an experience. We come in on Sunday and we're like, man, that was some good teaching. And it changes us a little bit. We walk away. That was good. We're like, ah, oh, that, was, that was good. I've changed. I, I'm a doctor. But then we get into it during the week. We're like, Wow. I really see how God's dealing with me. And man, that's, that's some, good, some good stuff that God's really working me. And the longer you let it dwell in your heart, the more that it will change you, and the more that you allow the word of God to be in your heart, to be hidden away to the point where when you was changed in such a way that you will no longer look like you, you will look like Jesus.